Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunt Christofferson. It is a little bit closer to spring weather outside as opposed to recent uh, recent weeks. Brunt is amused by my dog chasing his tail. How, how often does he do this? Like daily? A lot. A lot. You could, you could lose an afternoon watching that. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he would go for the whole afternoon, but I don't really know what he intends to do when he catches it. But he so rarely does. He he had it a minute ago. He looked pretty. He looked pretty satisfied and laid down. <laughs> okay, well, that's a play by play of what's happening here at uh, the Nebraska twenty four seven podcast offices. Brian, how are things going for you? Uh, pretty good. Opening days tomorrow. I'm pretty jacked about that. Um, and I, I noticed your dog has a teenage mutant ninja turtles collar, which has caught my fancy too. Yeah, he's I was, I was uh, a big teenage mutant ninja turtles guy growing up. He was, he was. After I, the first couple months that I had him, I noticed that you know that was all he wanted to watch on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, real into pizza, like Michelangelo, um, you know, and it just it made a ton of sense. Could you like if you had to sing the song for the animated show? Would you know all the lyrics? If on the no, spot? I wouldn't know all the lyrics. I might. I kind of have the beat going in my head. They're heroes in a half shell. Did you Man, watch a lot of that? I feel oh, like yeah. you would have been. That was in my wheelhouse. Okay. That was like Saturday morning uh, glory right there. Some afternoon after I'd assume you'd have been on to Save by the Bell by that point. Well, I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles until I was like 22 years old. <laughs> I, just, I, I was wondering how you fit it in between all those activities as a young kid. <laughs> yeah. Between being an all-state quarterback and getting ready for wrestling season. And bailing hay. Bailing hay. Yeah. I, I would get a lot of episodes of the, the Turtles in. There was something that popped up after our episode last week. Do you want to admit to starting the manure fight? Uh, yeah, that happened. I started it. I don't know how I phrased it last week, but I definitely started the fight. So a little bit like Han Solo, then you you shot first? Yes, I did. Um, Nerd. <laughs> I, I'll admit to that, because uh, the, the person who knows is probably listening, and I don't want it to go any further. All right, well, we'll, we'll move away from manure fights and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Unless you want to sing no, that. No, that's okay. Okay. Uh, should we should we get into Nebraska stuff? I mean, there's there's a few things we could. Yes. Do, you, do you have an off topic conversation you'd like to throw to that? You look disappointed. No, I'm fine. When I mentioned talking about your profession, I was just thinking of uh, what what uh, spoken word song I was going to find oh, for PC man. today. So continue on. the The excitement over that has grown considerably. I get messages from from listeners that really enjoy it so yeah. i don't know when he'll bust it in whatever he chooses i would like bruns to text me a request I'm, across I'm, the table the stats department's working i will look diligently. up the, i will look up the lyrics and uh i'll send you the lyrics okay perform it later well as as you guys are working on that i'll get us into <laughs> the nebraska portion of this podcast the the oscars went back to spring football here after a little bit of a, a break with spring break and scott frost commented from what i could tell somewhat pointedly about how the uh the team was a little bit sloppy coming back but that's kind of what you would expect but i think he was also trying to set you know expectations that that's not going to be acceptable going forward that they kind of used up the well there's a little bit of rust and now it's got to be a little bit smooth sailing going forward yeah he wasn't mad by any means but he just thought they 
they weren't quite as crisp as they were the first day. And he even said, you know, you kind of expect that a little bit coming off of the break. And um, who knows where guys were during that break, you know, doing what. Um, so here they come back, and you got to get back into the mix of football. And I do like that, though. It's it's the idea, like, every day you got to get a little bit better. It's the old get 2% better each day philosophy that John Perell always talked about last year. And if, if you can do that, you're pretty good by the end of the spring. What other takeaways did you kind of have from – Frost yesterday uh, at his media appearance of, about kind of where things are at with the team and, and some guys that have changed positions, some injuries that have popped up, the center play. Those are kind of the, the initial topics of discussion coming out of Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, I, I think whenever the head coach, you know, confirms that a guy moved like Chris Walker, that's interesting because we talk about it for like six months, you know. He might switch positions, and he seems like a guy who <laughs> – you know, he always wanted to play defense. Usually when you talk to a recruit, um, they'll kind of be like, yeah, I maybe kind of prefer this spot, but I can do both. Chris Walker, when you interviewed him at Lincoln East, he was like, I want to play defense. And so I was always kind of surprised that the last staff, you know, not to kick them when they're not here, but they kind of forced him to be an O-lineman when he definitely didn't want to. So I think it's good when you're getting guys to play the spot they want to be at. You're probably going to get more out of them. Um, so that was interesting to me. The center situation is a bit of a problem right now because uh, you, you have Decker and Conrad out, and you know I don't even know specifically everybody who's working there. Frost yeah. uh, didn't say that. You know, you could see like a Will Farnia. I could see Tanner Farmer in there even. Um, so there's options, but it's not necessarily the guys you're going to be playing with in the fall there, which I would think makes it a little difficult. Yeah, Greg Austin said uh, – I guess it was a couple of weeks ago that Hunter Miller was another guy that they were mm-hmm. looking at at center. He even made some kind of passing comment about Gerald Foster being able to step in and make calls that I was kind of like, huh, that's kind of interesting. But um, it, that's kind of the grain of salt with it, I think, though, too, is it's like you, you're going to have the two guys who are probably your, your top two on the depth chart back in the fall. So, yeah, the snaps are an issue, but, you know, it's – yeah, you don't necessarily want to move like a guy that you're going to use somewhere else over and right. take him away from those practice reps when you're going to get people in at center eventually. So Decker and Conrad are out completely this spring. Not completely. Um, it that at least the first part is where it started. That's kind of what I thought yeah. too. Yeah. The the thing I thought was interesting yesterday, and we can get into it a little bit later too, was you know Scott Frost was asked kind of point blank about transfer quarterbacks and whether or not nebraska would pursue one and you know his answer was basically we're not thinking about it now but you know maybe you know basically they want to see what they've got before they you know make any decisions about that but in my mind i feel like that's something you kind of have to be aware of now because you know as you're Watching the three scholarship guys on campus, you got to kind of think, you know, do, do these are these guy three guys going to be better than somebody who's potentially out there that maybe fits the scheme a little bit more and what we mm-hmm. want to do? Because it, it's kind of a delicate conversation to have too, because you don't want to say, yeah, we're 
pursuing somebody like that when you're two practices in with a group of guys that you haven't really seen throw a football before. It's really delicate because everybody knows in the back of their mind that the possibility exists that one of the three, well, Adrian Martinez won't, but Jebbia or O'Brien could potentially transfer. I mean, that idea could be a reality if a guy finds out he's third. Um, And so if that were the case, then suddenly – you know, you you would be down to two scholarship guys and Andrew Bunch going into the season if you didn't add anybody. And then it's a little bit of a panic mode if somebody goes down. I mean, your season is in real jeopardy just by one quarterback getting injured. And that's why I think Frost says he likes to have five scholarship guys in that room when he can get there. Um, so it makes sense to me that they could potentially add a guy, but... Um, I, I don't know. It, it would be a tough spot for any guy who transferred here, too, I would think, to try to beat out the guys that they have after they've already gone through a spring. So I, I sometimes wonder how appealing that would be to an outsider if they really look closely at Nebraska's quarterback situation, too. Yeah, and it's it's tough, too, because, you know, you, you go back to kind of what Frost did at Oregon, and they, they were pretty open to having – you know, grad transfers there and, and kind of seeing what they could do. So, um, you know, history says that, you know, he at least kind of has one eye to, to what's out there. Um, and, and, and I guess the other part of it for me too is the the size of the quarterback room that they want, they don't have the numbers available, like you said. I mean, it, it gets pretty thin pretty quickly if you have a transfer and in, an injury and, you know, you're, you're basically going into um, – you know, fall camp or something with, with two scholarship quarterbacks at that point. And one a true freshman and likely the other, if it's Tristan, never played. If it's Patrick, he's basically played 60 snaps. Against Minnesota, yeah. 40 snaps. So it's uh, not the ideal situation at all for them. And, and it won't be like that beyond this year. So then it's kind of the concept that you don't, you didn't want to add a junior college guy because you were, knew you were getting Noah Vedral. You kind of want someone that's only going to probably be in the room for a year. And even at that, you don't necessarily have to have someone that's got to be the starter either. Basically, you're looking for a depth option, and that makes your market real small. Unless you decide that you know none of these guys really impressed in the spring, and then you, you try to go out and you swing for the fences and – that's kind of interesting. And everybody talks about Joe Burrow, but what makes him real interesting to me, he's got two years of eligibility, which is different than a lot of grad transfers. And so you would essentially be staking that a guy like that would be potentially your quarterback for the next two years. If, you know, it takes and he's the guy and it works out in the, the fall. Yeah, and you have to gauge your current room, how – guys will re- would react to something like that. And I don't know why, um, I mean, honestly, I don't know a whole lot of them that would choose to stay. Not that I, I know exactly what they're thinking, but you look around college football, I mean, I, I don't see why some of these guys would choose. If, if it was somebody that had a two years of eligibility, why Patrick O'Brien, that's the same that he essentially has. I mean, he has three. And, and Tristan has four, but it's he cuts into it real deep. And especially when you've spent the spring trying to do this. Like, right. if you're the guy that, that comes out of it looking the best, and then they still go get a grad transfer, I mean, that's a real shot. The most interesting thing to me of the entire spring, really, 
is how the coaches decide and basically the timetable of which they decide to deliver the news of what their pecking order is at quarterback. Because strategically for the coaches, the best situation would be to have it leave spring with, uh, it's kind of up in the air. I don't know. You know, it's pretty close here. We've got the, basically it's neck and neck. As a player, though, you could see where it's like, no, nah, coach, I really got to know. Like, where, where do you think I am? Because I would like to make, a move potentially before the fall if that's the case and i always get a little uncomfortable talking about this stuff because it's i mean these guys are it's speculation these are yeah. guys are just college dudes and it is speculation but yet yet i think common sense tells you that it's a real possibility that it could happen yeah one thing that um i don't know how much it came up up front with with scott frost or with stanley morgan jd spillman was very complimentary of noah vedrill Hmm. and Noah Vedrill's role on the team this spring. Uh, he said that Vedrill's been a really good resource for anybody on the offense because they can go to him and be like, I don't know what this term means, or I don't know where I'm supposed to be on this play. And he's effectively been good at, at communicating to guys where they need to be, communicating to the quarterbacks as to where they need to be. Uh, and Spielman said that he really appreciated that. He, he felt like it was making – the transition easier because it's one thing hearing it from the coach or from Troy Walters. It's another hearing it from somebody who had to know that whole playbook in order to play as a freshman last year. And so uh, the Vedral thing, even though he's not going to be able to play for him, and he's this weird piece of their quarterback depth chart, already sounds like it's it's paying off in ways uh, that is at least helping the skill position guys. He's from a coach's family. He wants to be a coach from everything I've heard. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. I, if I could make a prediction that like four or five years, Noah Vedrill would be like a grad assistant here. You know, I mean, he's he strikes you as that type of guy, and that's in his future. So um, that that's just double bonus. That's a bonus with him. You know, um, you, you get a guy who's really going to improve your depth next year, but also can help these guys read the first couple chapters of the book at a quicker pace than they probably would have been able to if he weren't around. When he's comfortable doing it, and I think that's kind of an important part mm -hmm. of all of it, is there's guys that know playbooks, but they're not great at verbalizing right. it or they don't feel comfortable talking with their peers about it, and that's apparently not the case at all for Vedral. Yeah, Mario Verdusco says, just speaks glowingly about him too and how he can do that too. So that that is that's a nice piece for them. Did um... – you you kind of got into Spielman a little bit. He talked a little bit about yesterday about kind of the special teams aspect of his game and kind of where he fits into that. Um, do you think that when Nebraska lines up in September, is he going to be back there returning punts? My um, guess would be yes, but I also wouldn't want to discount somebody coming in uh, like a Miles Jones or you know some of these other skill position guys or Jerron Woodyard. Um, or a Mike Williams. I mean, they, they have guys that they like. Uh, but I, I think that what we know about UCF and, and what we know about special teams there, they had one of their top players on their team, and Mike Hughes was super – I mean, he played every unit for them, whether he was a return man or in coverage or whatever. They, they want those guys on the field. And so you look at somebody like J.D. Spielman, I thought he was a better punt returner than he was kick returner. He's the best kick returner Nebraska's had in a while. And so, I, to me, it's a no-brainer that he's going to be your guy back there. Even if you're going to use him a lot on offense, 
you still probably want to give yourself the best chance as a return man uh, back there. And, and to me, that would be Spielman. But I also don't know, I mean, how they feel about Miles Jones' returning ability or, or any of those other freshman wide receivers or Maurice Washington. And uh, I think Greg Bell has done it a little bit too. So it's just there, there's enough other pieces that I can't say definitively, but he wants the job. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, one thing I like about this staff, I mean, Mike Hughes at UCF is just a freak. He, he's a freak athlete. The whole story is so, just a freakish. Yeah. They, they just, oh, oh, you're eligible. You can come join our team in August. Oh, you're going to be a first-round pick here in April. Yeah. And you won the freaking game against USF. Like, it, it, the whole thing is storybook. So you don't, I mean, I don't want to give too much credit. I mean, I could probably tell you, hey, maybe we should put that guy who's going to be a first-round pick back there and see if he can return it to the house. But I will say this, he Mike Hughes showed up like in the middle of August, and I have seen coaching staffs, a lot of coaching staffs at this place, that would not put a guy like that on the – they would be too scared to pull the trigger on that. They wouldn't put him out there right away in that role. It would take until like the third or fourth game. Something would have to go. I think that says something about the staff that even though he was ultra-talented, they said, yeah, we're going to put that guy who's been here two weeks back there to field punts and kicks and Javon DeWitt I mean we've talked about it before he is a sharp guy he's the guy who could have had a job at NASA and he's he's a he's a smart special teams game planner if you look at that return Mike Hughes had against South Florida that won UCF the game Javon DeWitt talked about this with us but DeWitt had a strategy where they realized a guy from South Florida was taking himself out of coverage and they let him go free. They let, like, two guys go free on that play, and it worked exactly as DeWitt drew it up. So it was, a lot of it was Mike Hughes, but a lot of it was also just great scheming and realizing, hey, we can. this is how we can maximize what they're doing, and I think you can take one of the house this way, and sure enough, they did. I think you can hear the tears of joy, the weeping, the sobbing from the people listening to this as they think about Nebraska's anemic special teams for the most part over the last decade aside from – the DeMornay Pearson L year. Yeah. And then the, the JD Spielman return. <laughs> Otherwise it's been real ugly. Yeah. I don't want to make any promises for those guys. They got to prove it. But the one thing I'll say about when Javon DeWitt was talking about special teams is he would get into specific things that they did like strategy wise, where you're, it connect to even a layman like me, where you say, okay, that's sharp. I see what you're doing there. And if you can speak that way to the fans and help them understand kind of, how you go about it and why you did this. And I, I think that that helps, helps you along the battle. The, the other part that was kind of discussed yesterday um, with Spielman, how, how does he feel about Kirk Cousins? Well, <laughs> I mean, if, if you're willing to talk about it, because I, I don't know if that was on the record or not. But ah, <laughs> It was off the record. The recorder was off. Yeah. It was, uh, you know. Just trying to get the inside goods for myself and then Christofferson and then Twitter, who I told. But <laughs> um, more or less, he said that he hopes it goes well. So, and, you know, a lot quieter, they need him. You could trust this guy with the most important documents in Washington, D.C. as a reporter. Mike? Yeah. yeah. That's what I got out of that. Very, very uh, good at keeping things under wrap. <laughs> nobody, nobody gets secrets out of me. We, uh, we also got a chance yesterday, talked a little bit with Stanley Morgan, who was the topic of some off-season hand-wringing about his 
decision to go pro or not to go pro. And uh, apparently that hand-wringing was all for naught. Um, Stanley said when asked multiple times that he never considered going pro. Um, still feels like he has a lot to prove um, in terms of being an everyday guy, a leader, that kind of a thing. It seems like he's clicked um, pretty easily with, with Troy Walters, which, you know, he, he was a guy that, you know, he's from New Orleans, had known Keith Williams well before they linked up at Nebraska. And that was kind of one relationship that I was kind of curious to see how that would all kind of come together. But, you know, it seems like things are clicking there. And, and he's another guy that, you know, we've heard all all spring and, and you know, who, who basically watched UCF, watched that offense and kind of had this, you know, holy crap, I can really be pretty effective in this offense. And, I mean, Nebraska is going to use him and feature him kind of like they did with Traquan Smith last year. But, you know, I, I think Stanley Morgan, you know, I, I'll say it right now, I think he's going to get to 1,000 yards. I mean, that that's not, you know, a, a huge limb to go out on. And we're going to do it again, aren't we? We are. But I, I, I think that's a huge limb to go out on. You think so? It's huge. You don't know who the quarterback's going to be. doesn't matter. You don't know how effective the offense is going to be. They're just magically going to create 1,000 yards for one wide receiver when you don't even know who's going to throw the ball. Yep. Man. Call it. Call him a shot. Uh, I'm going to be... I- I'm going to be more. I think that's a big limb. I'm going to be more certain about it than J.D. Spielman is about Kirk Cousins. <laughs> well, that wasn't very certain, <laughs> nor was it reassuring when I walked away from it. But because um, you're afraid that he got that over the dinner table, like Rick was just like, "Man, th- this needs to work out." Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best we could do. Yeah, I, I assume it just came from a text message. Like, well, he's not Keenum, but. He's our guy. We don't know if he's uh, a Hall of Famer. Now, going back to, to the Nebraska quarterback situation, though, I just I, I'm real hesitant to to allow the idea that this offense, even as good as it was at UCF, one there's so many factors that go into this. I think the Big Ten overall is going to have a better defensive play than what they faced week in and week out. Obviously, in their conference, they've got the Bears too every week. <laughs> the 80, the eighty five Bears, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and then I just, I really don't know how it's going to look without knowing what the quarterback's going to be. Like, does it, would your prediction stay the same regardless of whether it's any of those three or Joe Burrow or Brandon Dawkins or yes. BC? Yes. Well, if it was BC, I would double down. Probably 1500. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Thousand would be a little low, That's but I, I, I just think, you know, for as much I, I'm aware that UCF spread the ball around a lot. I'm aware that Nebraska probably has more wide receiver depth this coming year than they did a year ago. I also think that based on how Stanley Morgan is and how he's going to be featured in this offense, I feel like he's going to be featured in more positions to make plays and I'm thinking more of kind of how they they used him last year in the Illinois game versus you know run down the field and we're going to throw it up and hope you make a catch I'm not as I'm pretty con- sure that's the name of the play <laughs> by the way it was it was Stanley Morgan in the Indiana game yeah. right yes. yeah it was <laughs> you're, you're talking about a what was it? One of the dumbest plays. One of those signature Tommy signature plays. Signature Tommy oh, plays. That's how Danny Langsdorf yeah. described it after the game. And he kind of gave a look to all of us yeah. that were in the little circle around yep. him like, you got it, right? Mm-hmm. A signature Tommy play. 
kind of leaned in a little bit. <laughs> Pause. Uh, everybody got it. Yeah. Gonna so write you, that. Write that down. <laughs> so you, I, I mean, I assume you think this offense is going to be pretty effective from the beginning. Then I think that they're going to need to lean a little bit more on guys like Stanley Morgan and not be as. Um, Democratic with the ball as they were last year. So if Stanley hits a thousand, does JD hit eight hundred? Uh, I don't. I don't think he's going to have as much receiving yardage. What this year about he last does he year. hit a thousand total yards? Yes, he will. Well, does total yards count in returns? Because that doesn't. We're count. not counting returns. Okay, total Just offense. Total offense. Man, Brian, you you're all in on this offense. Just. Guns blazing. You guys are next. You're going to tell me a tight end is going to catch forty. You passes. guys have now kind of debated defense pretty good and offense, and next week you can go at special teams a little bit. Like get, I want to get Schaefer really emotional about like Cole Fromm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've already talked about I don't my really love. Have of, any strong opinions? On I would special like teams. you to come up with one over the. I'll work week. on it. <laughs> we've already talked about my love of trick shot videos, so I'm all in on Cole Fromm. Okay, then I guess I got Barrett Pickering. I believe Pickering is wearing a number in the 40s as well. Does that <laughs> is, seem kind of high for a Is kicker? it a concern? Uh, you know, for, it, that's what I'm asking. Former Husker kicker Greg Barrios, I believe, was 44. Yeah. I'd have to double-check that. I mean, but Alex he was Henry pretty, was like 90. I know. It's just after seeing years of 34, you get in the 40s, it just seems a little high to me. Henry's 90 kind of was just perfect. You're getting up there. <laughs> you have to bring you back down. Yeah. I don't know. You're. I'm not as confident as uh, Brunt's about Stanley in a thousand, but I will say he did leave a lot of yards on the field last year, and they only played 12 games. And he didn't play in all of them. They only 11. played 11. Yeah. Was it the Illinois game where he probably left at least 70 yards on the field? That's the one, and still, still did quite well. Fifteen or so, yeah. yeah, 110, something like that. I don't know. It'll be something for us to monitor. Hopefully not as closely as last year. That Last year that became like the only story of Husker football <laughs> the last two weeks when you just waited for the staff to get fired. It's like, well, I guess, I guess we'll figure out the math on how many per game Stanley needs to average to get to 1,000. I mean, that's definitely the phrasing, or that's definitely what happened, but the phrasing of waiting for the staff to get fired. Well, that's I mean, what was going on. You're right, I know, I know, and you know, but just phrasing it like that is like, uh, we're pretty callous I mean, individuals. They knew that. On that dark and foggy ride back from State College to Pittsburgh, I'm pretty sure that Brian and I discussed nothing for three hours except would Stanley Morgan get to 1,000? Even while we stopped for Cheez-Its and... Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys kept the cheese it's alive even when I wasn't in the car. So that's that's great to hear. All right. Well, uh anything else come out of from players or from um Frost himself and then oh, we can jump see. in and I'll do real quickly recruiting and then we can get to basketball, baseball. Give us some crutin. Skipping right over into the crutin. Crutin. Crutin time. Well Nebraska's our first of what is gonna be back to back junior days on Saturdays. Uh notably Marcus Hicks. Will be coming in. He's a four-star defensive lineman from Wichita that Nebraska has been recruiting. Uh, it's a good opportunity for them to kind of get into the mix of moving into his top group. I think they're just outside of it, not super far outside of it, but they have an opportunity here, and, and it's going to be um, you know a good one for him. And then there's some wide receivers coming in from Missouri that announced yesterday. C.J. Boone, I believe, is one of them, and then Massey. I think is the second one. I don't have a first name in front of me. I, 
I'll be honest, I don't have these things memorized. <laughs> um, so those guys are coming in. And then uh, Reese Atterbury from Colorado, who's 2020? 2020. Yeah. Well, I got I got the futures now. He's Flying a, cars. I think a really good line prospect for yes. him, especially in the, the region. And one that uh, we've seen kids from Colorado – go all over the place like it is a it is a state that you know despite the proximity nebraska has despite the fact that colorado plays in the pac-12 I and mean, you've got guys going to virginia tech you've had guys go to ohio state michigan uh they've sent guys to texas so i think that if nebraska can continue to get a few players from colorado and they have several on their roster obviously but uh, this is one of those guys that, even though he's 2020, to me he's a very important person coming in this this weekend, and it's going to be important for them to to really kind of show him the the need that Nebraska has on the offensive line going forward. Can we also talk Colorado? An interesting 2019 offer went out this week in Colorado as well to a famous football family member, one Luke McCaffrey, um, son of Ed, brother of Dylan. And uh, Christian, a, a running back you may have heard of as well. Oh, sorry. Um, He's just building up. That's fine. Uh, I, yeah. But I, I did enjoy Bronco's fan saying, Son of Ed. Yeah. <laughs> Son of Ed. Who, who didn't wear much for pads back in his no, day? No, no. He's he actually the uh, the head coach at uh, Valor now. Were you, a, uh, were you an Ed guy or a Rod Smith guy? I, I was an easy Ed guy. Um, Not that you have to choose between the two of them. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, I, I, I liked all of them, supported them equally. Um, Luke McCaffrey picks up an offer this week. Uh, 2019 quarterback, kind of more of an athlete, though. Um, has played a little bit of quarterback, but not gotten a ton of reps. And one of the reasons that he hasn't gotten a ton of reps is that two years ago, it was his brother Dylan that was one of the top quarterbacks in the country that you and I watched down in San Antonio, uh, who's now in the Michigan quarterback room which means he's never going to see the light of day on the field, unfortunately. For Is Shane Dylan Morris McCaffrey. still there? Uh, Shane Morris might be bumming around there somewhere. Or he's Maybe he's at Northern Michigan now. Uh, legendary five-star quarterback Shane Morris, whose accuracy was never an issue until he actually had to play in games, apparently. Yes. But um, So Dylan McCaffrey was the 2016 starter. And then last year in 2017, the guy that was Colorado's 2018-class quarterback – Split time with McCaffrey. McCaffrey, largely the backup there. Uh, I don't know his name off the top of my head. That was Blake Stenstrom. There we go. Son of Steve, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Stats department's not even looking stuff up today. Stats department is is on it in the son of game, I guess. Yeah. So um, Luke McCaffrey, son of Ed. Son of Ed. Is going to get all of the reps this year for Valor Christian. And he's going to have an interesting recruitment because he's probably not as notable as either Christian or Dylan were when they went through their recruitments, respectively. Both of those guys I talked to, incidentally, after they got their Nebraska offers, one came from the, the Bo Pelini staff and one came from the Mike Riley staff. Christian was all aboard taking a visit, really liked Ron Brown. Never made the visit, never uh, never showed up in Lincoln, quickly went to Stanford in the spring of, I want to say, 2013. Um, and then 
Dylan McCaffrey spoke highly of his conversations with Danny Langsdorf and said Nebraska was a school he'd definitely consider and would probably make a visit because it was close and then never made the visit. So Luke McCaffrey told um, Blair Angelo from our site uh, at 24-7 Sports that he's certainly interested in Nebraska, really liked and followed the UCF offense, uh, and we'll be keeping an eye on things there. And he's going to put together a list of schools that he plans to visit. The difference with him, though, Dylan McCaffrey committed before he was even out of his junior football season, I think. Christian committed in the spring of his junior year. I don't look for Luke McCaffrey to commit very early. Uh, it could be summer. It could be fall. There's going to be teams. I mean, some of the offers he has are simply because of his last name, not because of anything that he has done in terms of production on the field. Obviously, teams have been able to see him work out, and so that helps. But not a lot of people know what he can do as a quarterback, so it's big for Nebraska to have explicitly told him that he's going to be a quarterback. And, and I think that their chances are much higher than some of the other schools that have told him, you know, we like you as an athlete, but we don't know where you'd play yet. Yeah, it would be interesting if he visits. I, I think if he visits and, you know, this staff too with some of their quarterback offers in, in 2019 especially – they're offering guys who, you know, some guys are being recruited as quarterbacks, but only by a small handful of schools, primarily the, the slot wide receivers, the, um, you know, more traditional wide receiver, I guess. Um, but Nebraska's, you know, going to these guys and saying, hey, you know, we like you as a quarterback, you fit what we do. And, and I think that that's going to keep them in the conversation with some of those guys a little bit longer than they would have. John Reese Plumley, the kid out of Mississippi, uh, is the other one that kind of fits that label too, where Nebraska is one of the few that's offered him as a quarterback. He would be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just based on his athletic profile, would be a lot of fun in this offense. So that that's something to follow. I mean, Isaiah Williams was another that the previous also Nebraska, would have been a lot of fun. Nebraska, the previous Nebraska staff offered as a slot wide receiver. Scott Frost is a quarterback, but he's uh, joining Lovey and Liddyville. Yeah, real quickly, what do you guys think of the the Illinois rejuvenation under dynamic personality Lovey Smith? He's got that beard now, though. He looks like <laughs> have you seen it? it? It kind of feels like if he was trying to go incognito. Yeah, like that's what he would do. Yeah, like he's like he's like Bobby Valentine sitting in the dugout, hoping that people don't notice him. <laughs> It's the new Lovey Smith. Yeah, I'm not buying it. They're going to be bad no. on the field again this year, and I don't think they're going to keep a lot of that class. And what if, uh, what if they're bad and then they just promote, what, Corey Patterson? Yeah. That'd be a hell of an ascension. It would be, but I wouldn't. This day and age, I don't rule stuff like that out. Has, has a college football team ever been comprised completely of players from one city? Like, it just sounds like 90 players from St. We, Louis on its roster. You guys have seen that uh, latest predictions have Illinois landing Shamad Cooper and Ira Henry and some of these other St. Louis guys. Yeah. Which is just baffling to me. But Well, I mean, it's speaking of baffling, it's been baffling that Illinois football – and sports in general, to me, has been as bad as they have yeah. for so long. I understand them not being a power every year, but that seems like a program in a part of the country where they do have the access to the St. Louis pipeline and stuff like that, where you should be an annoying team to others in the Big Ten. You should be like a 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four kind of program a lot of years. And 
it's it just stuns me that they haven't been able to be that for most of like two to three decades now. Well, I mean, they keep the coaching hires just are yeah. relatively uninspiring. You fire the Zucker, that's what you get. <laughs> Who's he's the son of? I, I don't know. Mr. Zook. <laughs> you don't know Ron Zook's dad? I don't. Well, I'm sure he's a water skier, though. Walter, I would guess. Walter sounds like the name. Walter of Zook. Yeah. He's probably a, <laughs> That'd be my best a banker. Guess. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to... man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, we're good. Shirts the, in. the exchange. Anything else we want to hit on recruiting-wise? Oh. I think got anything I, else? I think they covered most of okay. it. You know, it'll it'll be a good weekend in terms of we'll have updates from these guys that are here. It's going to be interesting to kind of talk to them because I'm curious. You know, Nebraska hasn't had many groups like this. I'll be curious what the pitch is like. I'll be curious what the access from the coaches is like. Uh, and, and it's really, to me, the unofficial kickoff to Nebraska really getting into recruiting. They made a ton of offers. And they've been involved on the phones, and it's not like they haven't been working, but they've been playing a lot of catch-up. In this next stretch, starting with Saturday, you got a junior day, a junior day, a spring scrimmage practice in which guys have talked about maybe going on the 14th, and you have the spring game. It's a huge four-week you know, march where they can really sell the product and really kind of try to hone in on, on Scott Frost, Nebraska, the offense, all of it. So big, big stretch for recruiting. Other news that came out of this week. Do we want to go baseball or basketball? No, let's go hoops. All right, we're going into hoops. Well, the biggest news out of yesterday, possibly about of all three sports, is that the bench mob lost its fearless leader in Jack McVeigh, and I am not entirely sure how they're going to replace him. In addition to that, both Isaac Copeland and James Palmer declared for the draft without representation. Thoughts? Concerns? Not really. Were any of those three a surprise to you? you? You couldn't see it because we don't have our, you know, our video stream going today. But Runtz, <laughs> Runtz offered the most meh of shoulder shrugs <laughs> that you can possibly like. He had been practicing it for this moment. That's my and nailed it. That's my go-to move. Were, were those surprising to you? Like none of it. Did that surprise you? No. Probably? You did seem pained though. Like we even had to discuss it. It was imp- Yeah, there again. <laughs> He's man. He's good. Do you just no, want to sit out basketball talk? No, or? you guys can talk amongst yourselves. I mean, it's... It well, that's what that's what sitting it out would Right, be. okay. So you don't want any... I'm, I'm Use sitting. your words, Bruns. I'm sitting it out. Talk. Schaefer, I know you think Copeland yeah. is gone. For sure. For sure. And no, I shouldn't say for sure. That's what I mostly. think. Mostly. Yeah. And uh, Palmer... I mean, yeah, it's it's common sense by those guys. If you were those guys, you would do the exact same thing. You'd want to see, okay, what where do people kind of say I sit in this thing? Am I close at all? Um, even if you know that you're probably not close or not going to get drafted in the NBA, at least you get that feedback. This is what you need to work on in your game and things like that. It's just you'd be kind of dumb not to do this. Yeah. The, the thing with Palmer, there's – going to be a ton of people putting their names in this is going to be a record-setting group of evaluations and, and people involved in this so i wonder if that would catch up to him in sort of the idea of okay there's a lot and obviously it's going to be big next year too but your chances of getting drafter obviously goes down the bigger the pool is 
and you would have this one more year to really kind of be able to show that everything you did in the mm-hmm. early January and early February is real. I mean, because he didn't finish the season no, particularly well. And so there's still a lot out there for James Palmer to do. That's why I think of the two and the age difference, why he's more likely. To me, for Copeland, it makes all the sense in the world that, you know, you've been in college for four years now. You've gone through some back surgeries. You've had some ups and downs. You leave kind of on a high note for yourself personally, and then you see there's somebody in the NBA interested because he has a skill set as a stretch four that it it makes sense uh, that – you know, he might be a piece of somebody's bench. And if that doesn't work, then I think he can make gobs of money overseas. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I, I wouldn't blame him at all. Let's look at it from a different angle. If you were Tim Miles and you were trying to convince James Palmer to come back, what is your biggest selling point? I t- One of mine would be I would play on a guy on the idea with a guy that you see these guys come back for the homecoming weekend that played in this program you know now that you've been here, the history of this program, what they've never done. And you can come back, and you only get so many years to play basketball, but you could come back for one more year, and you could be a name here forever if you could lead this team and help them get a, into the tournament and win a game. Yeah. And I would, I would really play on a guy's ego a little bit there and say, you're that guy who can do this. Come back and let's let's make it happen. I, I that would be my selling point. Yeah, I, I think that's a I, I think know. that's a really good one. Um, if there's a concern for somebody like James Palmer, it's you look at the roster and are you going to be worse next year just by extension of what you're losing? Well, I see why you would say that, but I think sometimes when you're inside the bubble and you're a competitor, he's going to be like, I can I can lead. Give me some guys around and I can lead them there. But those those guys essentially are going to be Roby, right? Watson, and you hope that whatever funk that he was in this Watson's year, Watson's just got to take a huge step. yeah. I mean, and then you know you hope for the development of Thomas Allen, but you think about it, there's no big man on the roster right now, right? I mean, Jordy, we don't know. We don't know what Jordy's going to do. The guy tried to quit the team in the middle of the season. I'm not going to bank on him coming back next year. I don't. I, I would expect him back. Really. I think so. I think I think he'll be back. I I think for it's always an interesting discussion when you get into the draft. I guess I'm no longer sitting this out. Yeah, we've compelled Brunts to talk. So if you if you're James Palmer and you're looking at what your possibilities are, like even if you get taken in the second round of, of the draft, your your contract status is different than if you're taken in the first round. You're probably going to the D League. Or whatever they're choosing to call themselves now, um, you know, you're still probably having to, you know, go to the summer league and, and earn some minutes. It's, you know, I, I get him wanting to put his name in, but at the same time, it's not. I, I guess I don't know what he would have to do next year to like play himself into the first. You know, like, yeah, I, no, I, 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 I feel like. You know he's going to be going overseas or having to go the Turan Petaway route, where you're yeah. scratching and clawing for every roster spot or, or you know that direction. So, you know, as it relates to next year, though, I mean, you've got guys. I feel you've got four guys you probably feel okay about on that roster. Plus, I think Xavier Johnson's going to help him right away. Um, Who are those four guys? I, I think Jordy can give you solid minutes. 
Um, I, I think Glenn's got to be better, which you hit on. Um, Roby, I, I think for sure. And then Thomas. And then Thomas Allen. Yeah. I, I think he'll take a step forward. I mean, that that's, you know, that that's not a top three team in the Big Ten, but I, I think it's enough guys, some experience that you can kind of build around a little bit. Plus, I mean, you're going back to the the, the transfer waterhole again to see what you can find. So. We would have to be a grad transfer to help out. Right. Right. Yeah, for the upcoming year. They need to find that just right piece with that. They yeah. need like one more addition, and it just like fit. Palmer needs to come back, and you got to get that guy who just fits a specific role. They really need somebody too, and maybe Thomas Allen. Thomas Allen could I develop into the a sure shooter, right? I mean, he's thought of as a guy who can who can stroke it a bit. Yeah, I mean that that's what he was known for. I mean, he was one yeah. of the better three point shooters in. They in really the need to find that guy. I mean, I know Ray Gallegos' senior year was really wildly inconsistent at times, but he was always a guy that other teams had to worry about. You know, he's standing over there, and they're like, oh, we better guard him because he could get on a roll and hit three or four in a row. And Nebraska just hasn't had that. Is there, just to play devil's advocate, is there any potential way that James Palmer leaving would be good for Nebraska in the sense that it probably forces Isaiah Roby to become what I think everybody hopes that he can be, which is a guy who can play pretty much every position on the court. I mean, you look at his numbers last year. He shot – he was super efficient. He shot 40% from three. And he shot 56%, I think, from the field. He got better as the season went along. Is there a possibility that – not necessarily – the thing is I, I have a tough time even buying the premise myself that Nebraska would be better without James Palmer if it means that Roby's forced into taking on a different role. Yeah, I don't buy it. I mean, I know what you're saying. Um, I I think their skill sets are different enough. That oh, they're they're very different. That, that, that's where – I mean, you, you need them both. But um, – <clears throat> Roby does have that thing about him where he's right now you'd say he's pretty good and you see like man there's a ceiling that's way up there um and so you do have your imagination can kind of run wild could he have that year where he just goes from good to great suddenly and he is one of those rare players Nebraska's had in this program where I could actually envision that um but don't necessarily want to predict it either (laughs) you don't want to Stanley Morgan a thousand yards it I'm not no, I'm not ready to predict that on Roby. Too bad. <laughs> Too bad. All right. Well that was probably more basketball than anybody envisioned. Uh anything else you wanna add on to this? Do we wanna get into Tim Miles and the Bill Moose comments? Well he's back. He's back. Was he, he, he didn't guess leave. He's back. He didn't he's back again. Or, Tim Miles yeah. is back. Tell a friend. Guess he's back. Guess he's back. Oh, are you doing it now? No. I'm just waiting. I'm trying to I'm trying to chum the waters for a spoken word rap. You want it now? Nah, well, you can throw it in in, in a little bit. <laughs> well, first we'll get to uh, Nebraska baseball, in which they you uh, got a lot of Nebraska baseball. Did. You I did. You got three games worth. I did against the Golden Gophers, yeah, in Minnesota. And the difference between the two teams wasn't huge. I mean, if, if Minnesota is a team that's in the top part of the the Big Ten for baseball, and I think that we would agree that it is, Nebraska's right there. They just have to figure out where the runs are going to come from. Yeah, they've 
got I saw somebody ask you if this is a young team. Um, I don't think so. They're inexperienced. I, I think when you look at the lineup, you've got and it, it breaks down statistically this way. You've got guys that have been through it with Schreiber and Wilkening who are hitting very well. Angelo Altavilla is very much scuffling right now. Um, that, that's the one guy they have to get going. But beyond that, you've got this kind of group of guys that if you just kind of threw their names into a hat and pulled them out, like you could make, like essentially it feels like in some ways that's what Nebraska is doing right now because they're trying to find somebody from that group of guys that you can plug into the lineup every day and feel like you're going to get production out of. The problem is is that they're not getting that from any of those guys in in that in that pool of people. Um, they're not even getting good defensive production, which is probably the most striking part of it. Yeah. Is that you lose on Sunday because of an error in center field and then a misplayed ball. That was difficult for Roscom, who's wearing a lot of hats on this team right now. But it wasn't, you know, that was the difference in your loss. Your pitching was fine. Your bullpen was fine. Everything that everybody was wringing their hands about going into the weekend was fine. And defensively, you gave away a game. Yeah. Well, for as bad, like, like you're right. I mean, as, as much as people were concerned about the fact that, you know, and it's still a very legitimate concern that the bullpen is struggling. I mean, Nebraska from Saturday to last night's game against Creighton goes 20 and two-thirds innings without scoring a run. But over that same time, they only gave up three runs as a pitching staff. So, you know, they're just so wildly inconsistent right now that it's, uh, you know, and they're, and they're hitting the road for eight games. So, Do you think that could help them at all? I don't know. I mean, it's maybe. You know, they, they've got Ohio State. They've got Omaha, a very scrappy Omaha team uh, who's already surpassed their win total from last year next week. Uh, you got K State in there. I forget who they play, who, who next, who they play next week conference wise, but it's going to be uh, tough if they can't find answers. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't know. They tried small ball on the weekend and it didn't work. You know, they they got a, the big hits from Schreiber on Saturday in the game that they won. Otherwise, it was a lot of singles and get guys to third and sacrifice flies and. Um, I mean, you can win that way, but it's just so hard. And when you only have two guys on your lineup that ever look like they could conceivably have an extra base hit, it is, uh, it's just tough to imagine where this is going to come from. Yeah. But I, somebody like Angelo Altavilla, who was so good last year, I mean, the difference between this team struggling in some of these games, not that just one guy can do it himself, but... You get that guy on consistently, first, second, hitting in front of Schreiber and Wilkening. There's a lot of runs being driven in there. Yeah, and it just it's just baffling that you know a guy like Altavilla just cannot take the next step from pretty good player to you know to have this discussion with Roby. I mean, looking at Altavilla last year, I thought he had a chance to be their best player going into this season. That hasn't been the case at all. Yeah, yeah. and it's just kind of surprising. He had almost 300 last year, and he's hitting 212 right now. Yeah. So, it's tough. It's a bleak conversation. Yeah. It's, well, you know what could pick some people up, though? What's that, Brian? You might say that Nebraska's offense is a little poisonous right now. Yeah, you might. One might say I'd that. I'd like to read from a song called Poison by a little group called Belle Biv DeVoe. 
This was up sent by request, by the way, but I'm fully in favor of the request. It starts off, uh, first off, some background. Uh, Michael Bivens is in the group, Ronnie DeVoe's in the group, and Ricky Bell's in the group, for those not familiar with the work of Bell Biv DeVoe. It starts off with Michael Bivens saying, yeah, Spider-Man and Freeze in full effect. Ronnie DeVoe says, uh-huh. Ricky Bell says, you ready, Ron? DeVoe says, I'm ready. Bell says, you ready, Biv? Bivens says, I'm ready, Slick, are you? Bell, oh yeah, break it down. And then it gets serious, really. Girl, I must warn you. I sense something strange in my mind. Situation is serious. Let's cure it, because we're running out of time. It's oh so beautiful. Relationships, they seem from the start. It's all so deadly when love is not together from the heart. It's driving me out of my mind. That's why it's hard for me to find. Can't get it out of my head. Miss her, kiss her, love her. Wrong move, you're dead. That girl is poison. Never trust a big butt and a smile. <laughs> And smile. I blew it. <laughs> that girl is poison. Wow. Wow. Very, so, very well done. Never trust it's, a big butt and smile is really what people need to take away from advice. this uh, podcast. You can use that in any facet, really. That's good life advice. I thought that line came up quicker, actually, in yeah. the reading. So <laughs> it, like, get to it already. So it, was a little, it got a little long. It was, it was like I was... Francis Ford Coppola and couldn't let go of my work there. <laughs> I thought, I mean, you seemed like you were really getting into it. Mm-hmm. So I I was fine with it. Okay. Yeah, I did think the line was a little higher up. But, well, we've now officially covered every possible thing that anybody would want out of this podcast. Yep. We've played the hits. <laughs> we did play the hits. That song's a great song, too, by the way. I'm it not is. mocking it in any form. I, I thought you elevated it personally. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of elevation, we uh, we will elevate our game this weekend as Nebraska has a lot going on with football practice, and there will be plenty of recruiting coverage to be found and all of that good stuff. And you can find it at nebraska.247sports.com.